welcome back to another episode of the 212 podcast. We are here with another guest today to talk us through the whys and who's of the industry. Our next guest is an eight on the event Richter scale, having witnessed the shakes and power that all big festivals bring you. She has been the festival director for Lollapalooza Berlin, currently managing director of Superbloom, and has managed at Seagate Festival. It takes a lot of determination and resilience to get to the top of the pile of excellence. We will lean on her to give us some of the inside goss on this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Fruzina Zib. How are you and where are you today? Hello, dear Daniel, and hello to the listeners. I'm uh, currently at home in Switzerland, and uh, it's a beautiful November morning, pretty cold, chilly outside, but the sun is shining. And I'm a very optimistic and positive person, so I... I like to to start the talk with you also with uh, that kind of an energy. Perfect. We love that. We love that. Whereabouts in Switzerland are you? I could think of worse places to be at the moment. I'm yeah, I'm uh, sitting in um, we are based with my family in St Gallen. That's about 80 kilometers from Zurich, and we are about 10 kilometers from. Lake Constance. So for those people who who love geography, that's that's the place where I am now. It's about 800 meters above sea level. And we have some pretty nice mountains around us. And the snow is already here. So the snow already arrived to Switzerland. And, and very stereotypical of me as well as an English person. But I know that you have a good football team as well. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. FC Sangan, you know them, cool. Yeah. A lot of, so, so all of these festivals that you've done, you've, you've obviously been in the game for a while and you've kind of been at such massive events, but just taking you kind of back to how you got into it. I mean, a lot of people in events, well, they've had a, an interest or a desire to kind of be a musician or in entertainment, but they've kind of fallen into that in one way or another in the events area. Was that the same for you growing up? Did you do anything to do with entertainment before? Well, it was actually, it was a lucky coincidence that I ended up at a very early age in the event industry. I was 18 years old, but in our family, for us, the arts and music and theater, literature was always very important. And my mother, she was an actress, so that was kind of, you know, it was it was very present in our everyday life. And I... Uh, I loved still today. I love to go to uh, to 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 the theater, um, but we were a very musical family. We were singing a lot together at home, especially during Christmas. Uh, sometimes even for hours before we got the presents. But music for me in my in my life, also in my childhood, was was always very present, and I was always a big fan of music and of of uh, discovering different instruments uh, dancing singing so i think that was that was always part of my life and when i was 18 i was accepted to university and i felt like uh, now it's the time that i start earning my own money and i was um, looking for a summer job actually and uh, Back then, in those days, we, uh, I was looking for um, for some job offers in in a newspaper, and I found uh, found one which said uh, we're looking for some young, talented people who speak um, fluently Western Western European languages. And I'm I'm born Hungarian. I was born in in Budapest. But when I was six years old, my family decided to to leave the communist Hungary back in those those days and to to escape to Western Europe and to start a new life. And uh, because of that, we ended up in Germany, in Munich. And I grew up in Munich and I learned fluently German and at school I learned English. And also when I was 13 years old, I, I had the chance to visit my 
my godfather and godmother in Vancouver in Canada. So I stayed a couple of months at their their place. And when I was 16, I was uh, for a couple of months in Sydney in Australia. So because of that, I was I was very young and I spoke, you know, without an accent, um, German and English. And I also started to learn French. So it was uh, something that I felt, OK, this job, this is made for me. I, I want to I want to try, although I didn't know which company it was. But after the first interviews, it turned out that it's uh, it's very funny, actually, that it was Coca-Cola uh, Eastern Europe. And they were establishing a summer residence at the Lake Balaton. That's um, a big sweet water lake in, in Hungary. And they created the Coca-Cola Beach House, which was a summer resort open for three months. And we had a lot of uh, summer activities, beach volleyball, uh, water football. And every, every evening we had a concert and a DJ party for free. And I was working there for these three months. And um, back then I was the head of the information desk, which was um, my first ever job. But I was also the person who welcomed all the bands and all the traveling parties. I was also in, always in contact with uh, the stage hands and the stage managers. And during these three months, I met so many bands and I, uh, saw how how you know how a stage works. What 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 is a monitor system? What is front of house? Why do we have so many speakers on the stage? Or what are all these cables? What is a backstage? And I became such a huge fan of this whole ecosystem. And uh, all of these people that I was working together with, they, they saw that, okay, there is this very pretty young girl, but she's very interested in everything. So the stage manager, for example, he taught me a lot of things. He explained me how this whole thing, uh, all the, the whole stage system works. And after these three months during this summer, the company who organized us these concerts they actually offered me a job to be part of their company and to become an artist manager, and that's how I started. Uh, this was this started. was all in this was all in Germany. No, this was already in Budapest. This oh, was okay. So you, you you moved over to Germany yeah. when you were eighteen. Yeah, I was. Well, I was already sixteen. So that would that would be my dear Dan. That would be I think another podcast to tell you my whole life story because uh, honestly, no, no, we 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 were like globetrotters with my with my family, with my with my parents, and and especially me because I I I kind of I was always very much and still today I'm fascinated by discovering new countries, meeting new people, learning from them about their culture, about their language, about their their history. I'm, I'm, that's why I say I'm, I'm a super open-minded person. And for me, learning from other people and experiencing other cultures by going to those countries, that, that's something that I would not call it a hobby. It's my, my life elixir, I would say. I do want so, to get, yeah, I definitely want to get into the countries that you've worked in because you have had some real fascinating journeys in there. But I wondered if with Budapest, what was the opportunities like for the career that you wanted there in comparison to, I guess, I say, you know, a, a Germany that you eventually moved to? Was was there the opportunity to to expand and 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 grow within within Budapest for for, for events? You know, in in those years after the change of the regime, the Eastern European countries grew very fast. Everybody was so, you know, so hungry after not only after freedom, but also after knowledge and to discover and to kind of uh, receive the same possibilities and opportunities that the Western European part of the world had. And um, when I started to work in the music industry, and besides that, I, I, I went to 
to so parallel I started working with when I was 18 and I was also accepted to university so I did the two together and I saw a, it was like a huge boom you know every everything was so so everything was possible at that time and we organized so many concerts and uh, I was touring around the world with uh, with many bands uh, meeting a lot of uh, people working in the music industry at different festivals in different countries and in Hungary of course people saw that in the western part of the world th there's this this amazing beauty of uh, of festivals and uh, a huge variety of festivals and in the in the early and mid 90s that was the era when also in Hungary festivals started to establish for example the Siget festival and uh, that I was also working for 7 years started in 1993 and it started as a student festival and it grew of course it grew year by year and obviously i mean by now it's it's one of the biggest festivals uh, in europe and it's a it's just a super it's it's an amazing festival not only because of the reason that i worked there but that was the development that i saw not only in hungary but also in in other countries in central eastern europe and it was not not the thing that we tried to copy western europe but obviously there were many great examples in in western europe and that's why we we wanted you know we wanted to have the same after 40 years of communism in eastern europe you just want to try everything it's like you are hung, you are, you have such a strong hunger and you want to be you want to be the same or even you want to be better you want to do it better and that kind of a feeling i think many people had back in those those years i i personally i didn't have this feeling because i had the chance to to grow up in western europe and for me it was actually almost the opposite it was kind of a strange that i'm as i said i'm 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 hungarian but I had the luck to to grow up abroad, and when we when we moved back to to Hungary, um, in the beginning I was treated as a foreigner. So that was a very 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 f strange feeling. Also, not such a nice feeling to be treated as a foreigner in my own home country. But it was also something that I that I learned many things about uh, about human nature. And we have a saying, I'm sure you have that saying also in in, in Australia or also in, in many parts of the world that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So that happened to me definitely. And I'm actually, I'm very happy that that I also had some some pretty difficult and hard times in in my life. But as I said, it made me it made me even stronger. And I still I'm so happy and I feel very lucky that uh, I ended up, or not that I ended up, that I started in the music industry and in the entertainment industry and that I could work with, with so many great festivals and that I'm still in the event industry and I'm still involved with festivals. It's my passion. And big festivals as well. Big, big huge festivals. Yeah. I, 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 Secret yeah. Festival is... Secret Festival is a huge, huge one. And I wondered, with back to what you were talking about there, is that... It, do you feel like Siget Festival in itself kind of represented that freedom that that Hungarians were were wanting as well? That kind of freedom to express without. I mean, they talk about a Burning Man being that that kind of one where everyone goes to, and there's there's kind of no inhibitions. But it was Siget Festival kind of that for for Hungarians. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It it was also called. We had kind of an underline. We called Siget the island of freedom, because Siget, and if I translate, if I translate it in English, it means island, and it is an island in the middle of the Danube in Budapest. It's it's really beautiful, so you can enter only on with little boats, from, so via the water, or um, via a bridge, and then you enter the the island. And I I always loved the feeling of uh, when you arrive to the island 
you can leave everything behind you because yeah, you're literally on an island. And that's why we we chose this underline. It's the island of freedom. And also with the the, the programmation. So I, I I was a program director for seven years between 2008 and 2014. It was um, for me especially, but also for for my boss, it was always important that we have a very colorful program that we we don't create any boundaries or or anything that that people would feel it's not appropriate it should be when they come to to this festival they should be free to do whatever they they want and they they should have the, the possibility to to discover programs that are that are very very colorful and very very different for me it was always very important that it is not only colorful but that that people that come to to Seaget that they they feel that we are absolutely open minded and we welcome all kinds of cultures all kinds of races all kinds of languages we don't care about what uh, sexual orientation somebody has. We don't care what skin color somebody has. For us, it was important that on the island of freedom, people should be really feeling free. And this should reflect also in our program. So the variety of the programmation was for me highly important that we, we have all kinds of cultures, all types of music genres, and many artistic genres as well. So there were a lot of arts programs and installations, uh, theater, circus. So not only not only music, but obviously this this was something that had to be built up because Seaget started as a music festival back in the days. And and you were just it's not just a. Hungarian festival. This is like a diverse and international crowd that you get there as well. Absolutely. But that is also something, you know, at, at the beginning, it was a Hungarian crowd. But year by year, we had more and more international visitors coming. And by, well, I, I would say in those years, also when I was working there, we even had 60 or 70 percent foreign visitors and only 40 or 30 percent from Hungary. Yeah, a lot of people are now doing those kind of destination style events in different countries. Why, why, why do you think that is? It's a phenomenon. It is also called festival tourism. This is also an expression that developed, I would say, in, in these last 10, 10 years. And it is, it has to do something with uh, with the summer holidays. And most of the the festivals in in Europe are taking taking place in the summer holidays, which is I would say between June, July, August. So that's that's the main season for festivals in in Europe. Of course, some of the summer festivals or so-called summer festivals already start in May. And I mean the, the very last festival in in Europe is or was uh, Lollapalooza Berlin and uh, and and Superbloom because it's uh, it's beginning of September and all these young people that are studying um, at, at at universities or in high schools of course their their summer is free so they they have the possibility to travel and when they travel they choose a country where they also have a, which which can, a country that also has a cool festival, so they can combine the the two. So it's not only a city visit; it's also a visit to to a festival. So you have kind of the history and culture and a lot of fun. And I think that is also something that that is a very big strength for a country, because a festival can become 
a very important economic factor because when all of the, all those foreign people are coming to to that country or to that city normally they they don't stay only for the festival mostly they stay a couple of more days to to check out the city or to check out even the even a country so no, nowadays this phenomenon became actually it's not a phenomenon anymore because it, it's it's very natural that most of the european festivals have also visitors from abroad and not only from from europe also many many people um, are traveling from from overseas also you know also from from australia or united states canada uh, new zealand or even more i, I mean you can name all the, those countries that people are tra traveling to to Europe during the summer to discover, and that's I think that that makes the festival even more beautiful, because uh, the more different kind of people you have at a festival, the better the feeling gets. Because at at the festival you are so open minded, you want to meet people, you are you are in a very different state of mind. And uh, due to this, you can make friends from all over the world within a, a couple of minutes or a couple of hours. And when I when I think about the festival, I always think also about the audience, because for me, the audience is part of the program. So it's not only the things that we book on our stages, it's also the audience that is part of the program, but that's my but that's my personal view. Yeah, you meant you mentioned the financial rewards there as well. Do you think it's also something that you can kind of get cheaper? Like if you think of like the likes of when Croatia was kind of coming up, and there was a lot of events that were happening there. For for somewhere like I guess Germany or or the UK from a European perspective, do you think it's also that they could you know, you could instead of going to your own country, you could actually arguably get the whole trip cheaper going to somewhere else than you could in your own country. Yeah, that that was also a, a fact. You were absolutely right, Daniel. I mean, um, maybe not not so much today anymore, because also the festivals that are taking place in in Eastern Europe now they they become big. You know, I mean, it's it's not only Siget in Hungary. If I look at the exit festival in Serbia or the Pohoda festival in Slovakia or the open air festival in, in Poland, you know, all of these festivals are major European festivals. And we don't even, you, you know, we don't say anymore, yeah, it's it's Eastern Europe or it's Western Europe. It's, it's a European gigantic festival, also award-winning festivals. Of course, the the salaries in these countries are also today less than, let's say, in in in, in Germany or in in the UK, and um, because of that reason, I'm sure that many young people choose those festivals to travel because they, you know, the beer is cheaper, <laughs> the the food is. Is cheaper and the the accommodation is also cheaper and they have the the, the coolness of a hey, we're traveling together with friends to a foreign country and we are experiencing that. But also the the salaries in these countries and the costs in these countries are also changing or they or have been changed in in these last I would say definitely the the last. 10 years, it's it's growing year by year by year. And um, to give you also an example, I mean, Siget has also pretty high prices uh, by by now. And uh, not many Hungarians can, can afford that. But that's why other European or many Europeans that, that come to, to Siget, maybe with a better salary, they still can afford to pay the ticket and to to pay everything what is offered at the festival. And you mentioned there, you know, the the different 
countries that you have, obviously, you obviously gain an international crowd as well. Is so? Are all of the are these festivals that you you speak of? Are they? Is there like a commonality in terms of like are they are they all speaking English because there's different staff that are uh, are attending there as well that uh, from different countries and. If I think of some of these big European festivals, it's not just the international audience that you that you gain now. It's also staff from other countries that want to come there that, that might not speak the language. So is there a common language perhaps that it, it could – I mean, English seems like the obvious uh, choice, but are you, are you seeing more more people speaking English at these these festivals to in, to do with the staff now as well as the the audience that are actually attending? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, these languages, what we speak in uh, in Eastern Europe, um, they're not, you know, th- th- those are not the languages that everybody speak around the world. I mean, also with with um, Hungarian is a is a beautiful but but pretty complex language. So uh, the working language normally within a team in Hungary or in Slovakia or Serbia or Poland Obviously, it is the mother tongue, but the people who are working at at these festivals, they all speak English. I mean, that's what I also have experienced. And you can't, I mean, if you work with a festival and if you, if you want to have an international billing and if you want to have an international audience, and if you if you would like to be visible in other countries with your uh, PR and and communication, then I think it is really a must-have to speak at least English. And it's of course better if you speak also some some other big worldwide spoken languages like uh, let's say like French, German, or or Spanish. And you, we mentioned it earlier in the podcast. You, you are somewhat of a globetrotter. Brussels, Budapest, Berlin, all these different places that you've worked. How important is that for you to get a different perspective and experience in these different countries? For me, it's absolutely a must-have. So it's uh, um, also what you know. It's not only something that I love to do. It is also something that I want to do. You know, I, I want to to go to these countries. I want to discover. I want to discover those festivals in these different countries. I want to see what they are doing and how they are doing things. And I want to meet the people. I want to understand. Sometimes it's it's even more complex because I, I would love to understand the soul of a nation. Because my 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 father always said that if you understand and if you feel the soul of a nation, then you understand the people. And then you open up doors when when you speak to them. And um, my okay, this is this gets a little bit personal, but my father was blind. And because of this, I I I grew up in a very different way, I think I can say. It's uh my my father showed me a world that is not only visible by by or with with the eyes he always taught me to use all of my senses and to be very open to everything what i what i what i feel what i hear what i smell what i taste and of course also what i what i see and um with with all this, how I grew up as a, as a child and the way I am nowadays as a as a grown up, uh, I hope I'm grow, grown up or I don't <laughs> even know if I'm grown up. And I, you know, when I when I look at festivals, I really look at the festival with with the, with all of my senses, and I would like to to prepare a festival for our audience for all of their senses. And it's, um, that, that's like what it I- made you naturally curious as well. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a super curious person. I, I want to, yeah, I, I want to know and to feel and understand the world. I want to know and understand the people. I want to, 
uh, I have a, I have a very strong drive in in inside of me to uh, maybe this sounds a little bit romantic now, but to make the world a better place. I have a very strong. I'm very eager to uh, to live and to work like that, and you know that the. the um, I feel also really lucky that I have the possibility to work with festivals because I, a festival is is like, um, of course, only for a few days, but it's a it's a different world. We are creating a different world, and you enter this world, and you can change completely how you have been before when you entered the festival. And it's an utopistic world. The festival is utopia, pure. But it uh, it's a beautiful utopia. And in the world today and nowadays, when we are watching the news and and hearing all the those negative things every, every day, what's happening, and also with the, in these past more than one and a half years with the pandemic, I think a festival is a cradle of positivity for humankind. Is there anything, you, you look at these festivals that you have worked on, on paper they all look so different. And I guess from your perspective, given that you do have that natural curiosity and you have grown up and like, as, as you mentioned, I wonder if there's anything that you see as the same as well, because on paper they look so different. But is there anything that you've seen from these festivals or events that you've been uh, managing where you go, actually, there's this is where everything is the same? You have good questions, my dear. Um, I would say, actually, no. Because, you know, a festival is I I could I could give you a good example. If I think of a festival, I can also think of a human being. And are we all the same? No, we are all different. In a way, we are the same, but we are all this different. And exactly this this is the way I also look at those festivals that I had the chance to 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 work with. Because all of these festivals were really different, but some elements like, you know, we have to build up stages, we have to have uh, security, we have to have food and beverages, we have to have maintenance, we have sound and lights. That makes the festival and, and so, many, so many other things. But all this makes the, these festivals the same because we, we we work with the same systems and we have the same procedures. But how a festival looks like and how the audience experiences our festival and what we would like to communicate with our festival, you know, what what kind of a heart and soul does our festival have? That is very individual. And even though that I already had really the, the possibility to to shape for seven years the Sigat Festival in Budapest, that I had the chance to build up and shape Lollapalooza Berlin in Berlin. And now that I have the chance to, to create a totally new major festival in Munich that is Superbloom, all of these festivals have their own identity and have their own spirit. And as I said, they have their own heart and soul. And that's how I look at the, at, at, at the festivals. And that makes them in a way the same, but still beautifully different. And and I guess in, in any profession, it's the same. It's, it's kind of like much like an actor looks at another actor and admire them for what they do. And you kind of aspire to want to be like that. I mean, you you are essentially a curator. And, and I wondered if there's any festivals that you kind of model the festivals that you work on. You know, is there any that you look at and go, oh, I wish that we could do this or I wish that we could be more like this. Is there any festivals that you look up to? Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of the Roskilde Festival in Denmark, for example, not only by their programmation or their curation, also the way 
they they treat social topics on the festival. I'm a big fan of uh, the Open Air St. Gallen Festival, which is here in, in Switzerland. It is one of the oldest festivals in Europe. And uh, it is beautiful to see how modernity and tradition can be combined <laughs> in the middle of the Swiss mountains. And it, it's, uh, it, it has this rawness and this beauty of being so much connected to, to nature or also those festivals that I mentioned to you before. So I'm, I also, I admire the Pohoda festival in, in Slovakia or the open air festival in, in Poland, also the exit festival in, in Serbia or um, Glastonbury obviously is also one of those festivals that uh, when I when I look at this festival, it's 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 a totally different different universe. I also I personally I love to go to festivals. I love to 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 see what my other colleagues are doing, and it makes me so proud to see how many amazing, colorful festivals we have in Europe. And it doesn't give me the feeling of, of jealousy or something like this. It gives me really the feeling of, of proudness. And I feel very happy that I can work in this industry. And of course, I when I see um, something that that attracts my attention and I say, oh, this, this, is, this is pretty cool. I would like to, to try it uh, on my own festival. Then I do it, but I always do it the way that I, I contact my colleagues, so the other festival directors from these festivals, and I ask them, is it okay for you if I if I would try that to, to, to do it on my own festival? And it, it happens also vice versa, that those festivals that I'm I was or I'm in charge of, every year there are there are a lot of colleagues, other festival organizers coming to those festivals. And they check out what what I'm doing. And if when when they ask me that they would like to do something that I did, it 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 makes me very happy, and it's uh, it's a it's a feeling of really pure joy because it's uh, you feel like oh you've done something good, and other people would like to to do the same. And uh, I think that is also a great thing of you know the exchange of know-how between us festivals in Europe, and of course then not every festival is like that or not every festival is that open-minded. But the festivals that we have within Europe, uh, the European Festival Association, where I'm a board member at, we are like, we call ourselves the, the European Festival family. And it's really like that because we could be concurrents because we all work on the, in the same industry, but we all work in this in the different country. And that makes us actually sisters and brothers working in this industry. One of the festivals that you did have a massive influence on and, and kind of start from scratch is, is the Lollapalooza uh, event that we were speaking about previously. And I, I wondered how, I mean, Lollapalooza is such a massive brand and name. How how cool was that to, to be a part of? And was the budget smaller? Uh, uh, how did it compare to other Lollapaloozas? Did you start it from scratch? It it was amazing to, to work with Lolla. And it was um, back in 2015 when when we could organize the first European Lollapalooza. So Lollapalooza Berlin was also the first European Lollapalooza. And I was I arrived to Berlin in October 2014. So the whole thing happened that way that that I have been yeah I've been how to say imported to Germany from. Uh, from from Hungary, so I I was uh, yeah I was no I was I was offered the this job to move to Berlin and to 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 work with a team or establish a team and establish Lollapalooza Berlin and of course not not only me it, there were also uh, some some other great colleagues involved but I had yeah it 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 was a it was a great 
no, it was not not great. It was really a wonderful job offer, and it was an amazing experience to be able to work with this brand and to establish this brand in uh, in Berlin. It was also not easy, I have to I have to say, because everything had to happen very fast. So we had less than actually less than than eleven months to to establish Lollapalooza Berlin from scratch and uh, it's always like that if you establish something from scratch it uh, you have to be really careful that that everything is is well thought out and and really well organized because as you say it's a major brand and i really felt we, we are not allowed to make any mistakes and of course we made mis mistakes and that that's okay but uh, it was a beautiful journey, and uh, the first year was uh, was amazing. We had uh, 45,000 visitors uh, per day. It's a two-day festival, no camping. Just uh, the programs are between like 10 a.m. and uh, and 11 p.m. But it was really an um, a huge learning for me those five years that I could work with the festival because every year we had to move the location uh, that uh, due to also political reasons within the city of Berlin, because at the end of 2015, um, the refugees arrived um, to Germany and especially to Berlin. So we had to move from Tempelhof. That was our, our mother venue for Lollapalooza Berlin. So the first year, 2005, was in Tempelhof. The second year was at Treptower Park, that was a huge park in, in Berlin. The, the third year was at Hoppegarten. That's a horse race track a little bit outside of Berlin. The fourth year was at the Olympic Park and Olympic Stadium in Berlin. And also the fifth year, luckily, we, we could stay at the Olympic Park and the Olympic Stadium. But if um, also, dear Dan, that would be a topic for another podcast uh, <laughs> to explain you or to the listeners what it means to organize a festival every year from scratch. And we're going to get to 10.0 uh, uh, at one yes. stage, Prashina. The fast forward now to, to, to today, okay. you do have the Superbloom Festival as well. And where and how can people get into Superbloom? How big is it? And what's the uniqueness of the event? Yeah, that's our new festival within uh, Good Life. That's the company I work for. And we established this festival uh, at the Olympic Park and the Olympic Stadium in, in Munich. It's the same park where the uh, Olympic Games in uh, 1972 took place, that historic Olympic Games. And it's designed to be a major festival we want to start with in the first year uh, with about 60,000 people per day and uh, we would like to to grow in the next years to come so the idea is to have a programmation that is 50% of music and the other 50% we are creating all kinds of different programs with new circus with contemporary theater with uh, design, fashion, sports, new technologies, medicine, fashion, design, lifestyle, uh, sustainability, programs for, for children, programs for, for science and astronomy. And we have a huge focus on sustainable food on, on the festival. And we also have uh, a very big focus on, on social topics so on, and also on political topics. So on topics that nowadays are very important for, for humankind. Is there anything that you haven't covered off there? Is there knitting, yoga classes? What else is there <laughs> <laughs> to cover off? <laughs> no, it, 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 I, I'm sure we will also have some yoga, but it, it's um, with Superbloom. I already the name um, when I when I created the name, the idea was to to bring 
things to bloom if i if i can can say that super bloom is a natural phenomenon and it's a very rare phenomenon that happens in the desert when a lot of wild sea flowers that are sleeping in the ground bloom at the same time and this is something that i would like to create with this festival a lot of topics that need to come up out that need to come out from the ground that we have to talk about that we have to to see and and discuss to to create a society that we really want to live in and uh, and to create topics that uh, that are very relevant and that have a place at a festival so a festival nowadays is not only about fun and excitement obviously it's a huge part of a festival but a festival is a gigantic social gathering and that's why for me now that i'm working in this industry since more than 20 years i would like to to create a festival that has also a strong social impact so you heard it here first folks it's not super bloom it's actually the garden of eden for all uh, for all festivals and events there's a lot to do there and definitely get yourself down there um Frashina, we're coming to the end of the episode now and i just wanted to finish by just getting your i guess an insight into obviously you mentioned that 20 years that you've been in in the in the game for and how do you think it, noting that you have been in these different countries as well, is that how do you think the industry has changed since you have been in it, and where do you think it's where do you think it's going? It has changed a lot, and it's changing every year. You know, the music industry is one of those industries that is very rapidly changing. We always rely on the current artists, on on the current newcomers and the headliners of tomorrow so that's why it's uh, it's a, it's very constant changing you know when when i look at at festivals 20 years ago and when i look at festivals today it's like at like 20 years ago it was so we were not too many there were not too many festivals and most of the festivals were mainly about about music and having a couple of stages and some cool bands, beer and some burgers, some basic food, I would say. Nowadays, when I look at festivals, it is not only superb artists, but the scenery of a festival has changed totally. I mean, when you look at those stages, and they are gigantic they are colorful they have their own design on the festival area you don't only have uh, burgers and beer you have a gigantic variety of food and drinks and you can have everything you can you can have vegetarian vegan um you can have meat you, you can you have you have like it, it, it's like amazing uh, tasteful and uh, and and colorful delights and the programmation has changed also so it's mostly not anymore music even though we talk about music festivals more and more festivals want to program uh, multi-arts and that is also something that I I think is a is a great development because it gives a festival this 360 degrees festival experience. And this kind of an experience is what our audiences are are looking for. It's not it's not enough anymore to have only one, two, three stages and to program music. That that era has finished. Because a festival is, it's a small city. We are building up small or not even small. Sometimes it's its a big city. When we look at festivals that have a capacity of above 30, 40,000, that is already a big city. So it is a very complex structure, what a festival is today. That's why we need one year to prepare. 
And we also have a saying in the in the festival industry that after a festival is before a festival. And that, that is really the truth. And when we finish a festival, it takes maybe a couple of weeks till everybody can can take a short rest and uh, gain back uh, some some energies and, and the sleep uh, that we have uh, missed in all these in all those months. But then we again start start to work. Also, the, the festivals have become so modern. We are using so much new technologies. 20 years ago, um, those technologies were not even present. I mean, even when, you, when we think about also only about the Internet, that that is also I mean, nowadays it, it is absolutely part of a festival to be present on social media, to use all when when we are communicating with our festivals, when we are promoting our festivals, it's not anymore promoting a festival on the ground. We are promoting the festivals online. And that is also one of those things that 20 years, you could not even imagine that. You wanted to see something on the streets or hold something, a flyer in your hands. Nowadays, you just need your 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 phone or your laptop, and you are already connected with the festival. So that's also one of those examples that uh, that has changed very much the the whole universe, the whole feeling of uh, of a festival. Also, the way we are communicating with our audiences, we can communicate with them. Also, how via the internet, via uh, our our ticketing system, the the cashless payment systems. It's amazing what kind of technological development the festival world has made in these last 20 years. And every year there are new changes. And I think these changes are good. They're, they're for good for the festivals. But I think it's also important to sometimes to to step back and to look at our festivals and not for, not to forget why we are doing these festivals because these festivals are analog gatherings of humankind to enjoy to to share to hug and to share love I think everyone's uh, looking forward to a big hug after the last 18 months. Regina uh, Zip, it's been great speaking to you and really do appreciate you taking the time. And we, we could have chatted for, for hours and hopefully we can do 2.0, 3.0, 4.0 of this episode was edited by Podlike. We are the world leaders in podcast editing and production. Discover more great podcasts at podlike.online.